This is Medical Matters, Insights into Current Issues in Health and Halacha with Dr. Sharon Galper-Grossman and Hannah Evenchen. Hello and welcome to Medical Matters, a new Eden Center podcast featuring Dr. Sharon Galper-Grossman, who will speak about topics relating to medicine and halacha. The Eden Center works to strengthen Jewish women and family life and promote the spiritual, emotional, physical, and sexual health of women and couples using the mikvah as a primary vehicle to attain those goals. I'm Hannah Evenchen, and I'm very honored to be having this conversation today with Dr. Galper-Grossman. Sharon Galper-Grossman is a radiation oncologist and former faculty member of Harvard Medical School, where she also obtained a master's in public health. She is a graduate of the Morot Halacha program for women's advanced halachic learning at Matan Hasharon. She writes and lectures on women's health and halacha and teaches for Matan, Machon Pua, and the Eden Center, where she is the director of community health programming. Today, we will be discussing the topic of the option of prophylactic surgery for a woman who has tested positive for the BRCA gene mutation. We will be addressing medical, halachic, psychological, and emotional elements in the topic, and also how this relates to a woman's experience with mikveh and tarat mishpacha. We believe in the empowerment of our communities through information, education, and through the sharing and talking about even difficult topics. Some listeners may know that this topic relates to them, and even if not, it's important for all of us to be aware of the topic and its complexities in order to lend support to others, maybe now, maybe at some time in the future. Understanding more about the challenge of the BRCA gene mutation and the options and decisions available can strengthen us as a broader community of women and as a community in general and make us more aware and sensitive to the struggles of others, whether those struggles are visible or not. Sharon, can you please start by giving us some background about the situation that we're discussing today? What does that mean to consider prophylactic surgery in response to a positive BRCA test? So uh, let's just start with a little background. This is actually, uh, BRCA is actually a, a, a mutation that affects affects Ashkenazi women. So it's particularly an issue in the Jewish community and it affects certain Sephardi populations. The vast majority of breast cancers are not due to genetic mutations, only about 10%. Uh, And the most common mutation that increases a woman's risk of developing breast cancer is the BRCA mutation, which is present in about one in 40 Ashkenazi women. So 10 times the prevalence of the general population. It's also present in certain Sephardi populations, Sephardi Tahorim, who can trace their lineage back to Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and emigrated from pre-1492 Spain and Portugal. And so the, the BRCA mutation increases a woman's risk of developing breast or ovarian cancer. So an average woman who doesn't carry the mutations has about a one in eight chance of developing breast cancer, about 12%. But someone who carries mutations can have up to a 70% chance of developing breast cancer. The mutation also increases the risk of developing ovarian cancer. So an average woman has a 1% lifetime risk of developing ovarian cancer. But someone who carries the mutation has up to a 50% chance of developing ovarian cancer. And there is a BRCA1 and a BRCA2. People who've inherited a BRCA1 mutation are at high risks of these cancers and tend to develop them at an earlier age. So what is a woman to do after she has received a diagnosis as a, that she is a BRCA carrier? Well, she has three options. The first is to pursue surveillance. Uh, which, which means to undergo um, frequent yearly screening with MRIs and mammograms of the breast to um, diagnose breast cancer at an early stage. She also would undergo surveillance of her ovaries. So ultrasounds of the pelvis and blood tests for early detection of ovarian cancer. But this approach does not seem to work very well for ovarian cancer. The other option is 
to take medicines to decrease the risk of developing these cancers. So tamoxifen, medication that's often given to women who've had breast cancer, it can be given to BRCA carriers to reduce the risk of developing breast cancer. Birth control pills can reduce the risk of developing ovarian cancer. But the most effective intervention to reduce the, these risks of developing cancer is prophylactic surgery. And so when we talk about prophylactic surgery, we refer to prophylactic mastectomy, removal of healthy breasts to prevent the development of breast cancer, and prophylactic removal of healthy ovaries to prevent the development of ovarian cancer. Now, mastectomy can reduce the chances of developing breast cancer by 90%. And may, act, may also increase a woman's chances of survival, it might increase her life expectancy uh, when it's done at a younger age, and also more likely to have an effect on, on survival in people who are carriers of the BRCA1 mutation. Removal of the ovaries reduces a woman's chance of developing ovarian cancer by 90%, and also the chances of developing breast cancer can reduce the chances of breast cancer by 50%, especially when it's done before the age, or before around the age of 40. But it potentially puts a woman into premature menopause. We know now that women who undergo prophylactic ulcerectomy or BRCA carriers have a 90, reduced the chances of developing ovarian cancer by 95%, the chances of developing breast cancer by 90%, uh, especially if done at a younger age, and increase their chances of survival, increase their life expectancy, chances of dying overall by 77%. And this is a really important uh, statistic because when I was training, the thinking was that BRCA carriers and the recommendation was BRCA carriers should not undergo prophylactic ulcerectomy removal of the ovaries because yes, we've removed their ovaries and reduced the chances of developing ovarian cancer, but now we've put these women into menopause, premature menopause, and put them at risk for heart disease and osteoporosis. And so we've just traded one disease for another, uh, and probably there would be no benefit. But we now know that, in fact, the benefit of preventing cancer and ovarian cancer far outweighs any risks associated with prophylactic surgery. And the net, the net effect is an improvement in survival. And so women may opt for removal of their breasts alone. Uh, this was the approach that Angelina, the actress Angelina Jolie took in 2013 when she had her breasts removed and she opted to retain her ovaries for a couple more years till 2015 until she completed childbearing. Women might also opt to just have their ovaries removed and keep their breasts uh, and undergo surveillance for early detection of breast cancer. Uh, also with the understanding that if they do the surgery at a young age, the surgery would help reduce the risk of breast cancer, not just ovarian cancer. Or they might opt for both oophorectomy and mastectomy, removal of both the breasts and the ovaries. Okay. Wow. So there's a, the surveillance option in the situation of, of somebody uh, finding out that they are a BRCA, uh, a carrier of the BRCA mutation, the uh, non-surgical treatment or the surgery which you said, it sounds like has really gone through a process over the years of the understanding of how much it really uh, lowers the chances of developing breast cancer or ovarian cancer. Um, and it sounds like those medical benefits really, really outweigh um, other challenges that it might bring with it, which I'm sure are considerable. Uh, you mentioned early menopause, and we are, I would like to get back to that later and talk more about that and how that might impact a woman. Uh, in different areas of her life. Um, before we move on on that subject, I did want to ask you, what are halakhic issues that might uh, be related to the option of the surgery? So 
So there, are, uh, there, it's a complicated issue. There are certain halakhic principles that would argue against prophylactic surgery, and there are halakhic principles that would argue in favor of prophylactic surgery. Arguing against prophylactic surgery is mutilating a healthy organ, removing a healthy organ for a disease that a woman doesn't have and may never get. Uh, in addition, there is the prohibition of chovel, uh, wounding oneself, and the possibility that the surgery might cause a woman uh, psychological distress. Also, there are two unique halachic issues related to removing ovaries, and those are the possibility or the inability to perform the mitzvah of pruravu, end of childbearing uh, for a woman once her ovaries been removed, and the prohibition against castration, serous. Arguing in favor of prophylactic uh, surgery is the mitzvah of Manishmarta, the obligation to protect our health, and the, rea- the, the scientific data which suggests that surgeries prolong life. So there is certainly an element of pikuach nefesh here. So it sounds like from the halachic perspective, there really are opinions that go in two different directions. How, how do we deal with the halachic issues that you raised? So on the one hand, um, there's a halacha requires us to prevent disease, to promote our health. So the Rambam in Hilchot Deo, Perak Dalat Halacha Aleph, explains that a healthy body is a necessary condition for performing mitzvot and and uh, and serving God. And so one is obligated to protect his health, promote his health and well-being. And he goes on to list a series of interventions that one one ought to do to promote health. Eat only when you're hungry. Drink only when you're thirsty. Go to the bathroom when you need to. This is a very it's a broad list, potentially with fluidity. It's not an exclusive list. And so as more medical interventions arise, which are shown to promote health, they potentially would be included in the Rambam list of, Rambam's list of things to do to promote a healthy lifestyle. And in fact, Rabbi Blythe suggests that prophylactic surgery for a BRCA carrier would fall into the Rambam's list of interventions one should engage in to promote health. However, what about, how does halacha approach removing a healthy organ for a disease that one does not have and may never develop? As I said, someone who carries a BRCA mutation has a 70% chance of developing breast cancer and up to a 50% chance of developing ovarian cancer. Does halacha permit us to remove a healthy breast for when there's a 30% chance that a woman may never develop cancer or a healthy ovary when there's a 50% chance that this ovary may never develop disease? And so Rav Moshe Feinstein addresses this question uh, in Choshen Nishbat Chalak Bet Siman Ayin Gimel, where he's asked about a woman who was undergoing hysterectomy. And he, the family asked, can she undergo oophorectomy? Can she have her ovaries removed at the time of hysterectomy Be- to help prevent cancer? They estimated there was about a 5% chance that she might develop cancer in the ovaries in the future. And he said, yes, she could undergo the surgery and the surgery would be latobata. It would be her benef- for her benefit. And so if one is permitted to uh, undergo removal of the ovaries, for a 5% chance of developing cancer. And certainly it would seem that halacha would permit a woman to have her breasts removed when there's a 70% risk of breast cancer and a BRCA carrier with a, 30, a 50% chance of developing ovarian cancer would also seem to be permitted. But he raised concerns regarding operative risks of surgery and uh, even though, and this chuva was written in 1982, remember when surgical techniques were not as advanced as they are now, removal of the ovaries today is done laparoscopically with much, with presumably much less risk than it would have been done in 1982. And he also raises concerns regarding the psychological impact of the surgery. Uh, and we know today that in fact, who undergo these surgeries, tolerate them quite well psychological perspective uh, with, with, with very little impact on their quality of life because 
it, uh, the surgery relieves them of cancer worry, which can have a negative impact uh, on psychological well-being. What about the issues, though, related to removing, um, the issues related to chovel, to, to wounding oneself? That, how does halacha approach that in a B, how would it approach that in a BRC carrier? So Moshe Feinstein was asked whether it's permitted for a young woman to undergo plastic surgery to correct a deformity that caused her tsar mental anguish. And he permits her to undergo the surgery and explains that the surgery would not violate the prohibition against chobel, against wounding oneself, because the prohibition applies to wounds that are that are done for the sake of bizayon, for the purpose of humiliation. And here the surgery was being done to improve her appearance so that she'll feel better about herself. And the surgery is latovata. And certainly uh, when we're talking about Sur- uh, prophylactic surgery, the surgery is not being done for the purpose of humiliation. And so the prohibition of chovel uh, would not uh, necessarily apply. But what about the issues related to removing ovaries? So the possibility that uh, that interferes with the woman's ability to perform the mitzvah pruravu. Well, does a woman in fact have an obligation in the midst of Puravu? And this is a question that uh, the Gemara Masacha Kiddushin struggles with uh, and Rav Moshe addresses in his tshuva. And in fact, the, it, the tshuva about the woman who's having her ovaries removed. And in fact, uh, the woman in question in that tshuva had actually completed childbearing so that even according to the opinions that uh, Mitzvah Puravu applies to a woman, this woman had fulfilled her and removing her ovaries would not interfere with mitzvah pruravu. And so the recommendation, uh, medical recommendation, is for women to undergo prophylactic oophorectomy after completing childbearing, in which case removal of the ovaries would not interfere with the mitzvah pruravu. What happens, though, when a woman undergoes surgery, when a woman has not completed childbearing, then there is a potential to... uh, to uh, issue a pruravu. And under those circumstances, it's very important to, for the woman to um, address issues of fertility and meet with her team of doctors to, to, do, to figure out what can be done to preserve fertility, or at least to take that into consideration in the larger context of the surgical decision. What about Cirrus, the prohibition against castration. So the prohibition against castration comes from Vayikra, Perak, Kafbet, Pasuk, Kafdalad, Uma'uch, Vakatut, Venatuk, Vakarut, Lo Takrivu Lashem. That which is bruised or crushed, torn or cut, do not bring before Hashem. And so does removal of healthy ovaries violate the prohibition of Cirrus, of castration? Well, rabbinic scholars have a great deal of debate on this on this topic. They debate whether the prohibition applies just to men or also to women. Is it rabbinic or is it biblical? Does it just apply to surgery, surgical castration, or also medical castration? And so Rav Moshe also addresses this in his tshuva uh, regarding the woman whose ovaries were going to be removed in the middle of, uh, after her hysterectomy. And he explains that... Um, this woman actually was, had gone through menopause and had essentially, her ovaries had ceased to function. And so she had essentially, for lack of a better expression, been uh, auto-castrated. And I, again, I apologize for the graphicness of the description of menopause, but her ovaries weren't working anymore. And so she was considered halakhically serious. She was, uh, that she had already undergone a form of castration and you can't be castrated twice. So since she's already castrated, her ovaries aren't working, there would not be a prohibition against castration. And so for a woman who's gone through menopause, uh, there, would, there would not be a halachic question regarding castration, but medically the recommendation is to have the surgery around the age of 40, complete childbearing and have your ovaries removed at the age of 40 uh, and, and because to wait longer increases the risk of ovarian cancer the risk rises between the ages of 40 and 50 and waiting till 50 the surgery would have less impact on reducing not only the risk of ovarian cancer but also the risk of breast cancer which is a, a, an added benefit to doing the surgery at, at a younger age and so does removal of healthy ovaries in a BRCA carrier 
who is premenopausal violate the prohibition against castration. Now, the Vilnagon uh, rules that castration applies, the prohibition against castration applies to women, and it's biblical, and, uh, and so there would be an issue of serous in under these circumstances, but other posts came, like Rosh Shlomo Loria and Yamshal Shlomo, actually permits a woman to undergo removal of her ovaries to prevent the pains of childbirth. This woman could not bear the pains of childbirth, and so if halacha permits woman to remove her ovaries uh, to because she can't handle the pains of childbirth. And again, this is a unique halakha question that was asked for a specific woman. But if that's the case, then certainly it would seem that halakha would permit removal of ovaries uh, for pikuach nefesh, and that pikuach nefesh would override any concern over siras, the prohibition against castration, or any other prohibitions, any of the other things that we've mentioned, including Puravu, uh, the obligation to have children, the, the mitzvah to have children, and issues of wounding. Uh, and ultimately, Pikuach Nefesh would trump all these other issues. Well, let me ask you a question, Sharon, about Pikuach Nefesh. Uh, I know that I've always been taught that Pikuach Nefesh overrides uh, basically any other issue. Um, however, this situation seems a little bit different than the classic situation of Pikuach Nefesh, where there's a threat to somebody's life in the immediate moment, because if we're talking about a gene mutation, you're talking about a potential threat as opposed to something threatening their life right now. So does this, does being a BRCA uh, carrier put it in the category of Pikuach Nefesh? Wow, Hannah, that is a really, really um, important question and something that, uh, that, that I've turned to Postkim on and that Postkim have addressed. So you're right, um, Pikuach Nefesh, the classic definition of Pikuach Nefesh, as defined by the Noda Bihuda, Rabbi Cheskel Landau, is that there must be a cholalafanenu. There must be a sick person in front of us, uh, a person standing in front of you, grasping their chest, screaming, Hatzilu, I can't breathe, um, or, or, or someone who is actually sick, someone who is bleeding, someone who is cut, someone with a high fever. Um, those would be potential situations of pikuach nefesh where there's an actual sick person. And here, this woman is not sick. She has, she's been diagnosed as a carrier, but she does not have cancer and she may never get cancer. And so how do we consider this pikuach nefesh? And, uh, and so I've spoken to, uh, and so uh, Rabbi Avram Steinberg, who uh, also spoken to Rabbi Zalman Nehemia Goldberg and uh, Rabbi Asher Weiss, has explained to me that this situation counts, uh, is considered pikuach nefesh because the gene lies within the woman and it is like rodev. It is, is ready within her, uh, potentially pursuing her, potentially endangering her at any given moment. And that we can consider this situation pikuach nefesh because the gene is within her. Uh, and as pikuach nefesh, Pikuach Nefesh would override any other of potentially any other uh, prohibition uh, and virtually any other prohibition and any other mitzvah. Uh, wow, thank you. Uh, it sounds like from a halachic perspective that there are so many um, <clears throat> topics within this subject. And you had mentioned you use the phrase that every woman is unique and every situation is different. And I'm sure every woman who might be dealing with this would have the halachic authority that she'd feel comfortable discussing it with, but I think it's really enlightening and important to know what the halachic topics are that might come up. You mentioned chovel and sirus and how it might impact fertility, which would vary depending on the age of the woman and her plans for family and hopes for family and so much within that topic. And I think it's just really important to, for all of us to understand how many layers there are uh, within this subject. Um, what else do the post scheme say about prophylactic surgery? So uh, in 2006, uh, Rabbi Moshe Tendler and Zatzal uh, actually, actually stated that um, 
he ruled against the surgery. And he stated, no one can fault a woman for running scared and doing these surgeries, but it isn't 100% guarantee that she won't get these cancers. And he recommended surveillance over prophylactic surgery. And uh, I, 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 I read his, um, I read his uh, opinion and my reaction was, well, what treatment do we have that is 100% effective? And I wondered if perhaps he would rule differently based on the new data that was emerging that uh, prophylactic surgery was a much more effective approach and actually had been shown to prolong life. And so I wrote to him and his response was, if surveillance should be inadequate, the surgical approach would also be the halachic advisory, uh, which sounds like he would permit uh, he would, that prophylactic surgery would be permitted. Uh, Rav Avram Steinberg has written that in his encyclopedia, uh, in his Haverfuah Kehalacha, uh, has written that the prophylactic mastectomy does have some surgical risk, but the risk is low, and there is the concern of chovel, of wounding, but uh, really that prohibition only a, a would apply to situations where the wound is being inflicted for humiliation. And when it comes to oophorectomy, even though there is this element of serous, uh, the majority of postkin believe that the prohibition against castration is rabbinic and is over, and it would be overridden by pikuach nefesh, which he believes exists in the case of BRCA carrier for all the reasons that we mentioned. Now, um, Rabbi Bleich has stated, no, sorry, not, uh, Rabbi Bleich has stated that prophylactic surgery uh, potentially falls into the category of interventions that the Rambam uh, in, requires or strongly strongly uh, encourages for the purposes of promoting health. And in a 2008 YU Cancer Symposium, Catching Cancer Before It Catches You, Rabbi Willig has stated surgery should be done, may be done, and maybe from the halachic perspective, must be done in order to save lives. So yes, there are post who permit the surgery uh, and some who even would um, require it. And I think that uh, as time goes on and women uh, come forward and ask, more of, and ask more of these questions, there will be a growing number of post who weigh in on this topic. What I'm taking from what you're saying is that especially when it comes to halachic questions and the world of medicine and halakha is that context also has a tremendous amount to do with it. All the topics that you raise that could be halachic questions exist as halachic values of not harming yourself, not removing a healthy part of your body. But like you mentioned that it's, it makes a difference if it's for your health or for humiliation. And I think in general, when we approach halachic topics and halakha and medicine is that context is going to play a very big part in that. And when we go to somebody to ask a question or we investigate something, the context, if it's to save a life, if it's to remove a threat, um, if it's to give psychological peace of mind, all of that, I think, really weighs in and is a very important part of the interface between the halacha and the medicine. Um, now, I, I did want to ask you uh, from everything you've described and even bringing up the halachic challenges to the decision of prophylactic surgery really highlights what an intense physical process it is to go through surgery, like what you've described, removing the breast, removing the ovaries. And it's clear to me that a woman who chooses this option would need a strong support system um, for what she might be dealing with physically going through the surgery and recovery from the surgery. But in addition to the physical elements, I'm sure that there are emotional and psychological considerations in a decision like, uh, like this. Can you tell me a little bit about what a woman might be facing psychologically and emotionally? So it, it's, the surgery has challenges to it. Uh, they're you know, removing a healthy breast uh, leads to issues of body image and can affect intimacy and sexual function. Moving a healthy ovary uh, in a young woman um, forces her to deal with issues of fertility and loss of fertility, 
the end of childbearing and puts her into premature menopause with all, uh, with all of what that implies and entails. So these are not, the, these are, um, the surgeries do raise uh, psychosocial issues, uh, but, this, but actually there's been extensive data on how women cope with these surgeries and the overall effect of the surgery. So women who've undergone prophylactic mastectomy may have some physical issues recovering from the surgery, but uh, by and large, women have less anxiety and depression. Um, their, their anxiety and depression levels decrease after surgery. They are happy with the cosmetic results. They would recommend the surgery again uh, to others and they personally would choose to have the surgery again. In terms of women who undergone oophorectomy, removal of the ovaries, again, their, the uh, surgery can affect their sexual health. It can put them into menopause. It raises issues of childbearing, uh, but it does not seem to have an overall have a, to have a detrimental effect on their quality of life. In studies that have compared the quality of life of women who and and, and psychosocial functioning of BRCA carriers who opt for surveillance with those who opt for prophylactic surgery, there appears to be no difference in quality of life between the two groups. And that's because the women who've undergone surgery have so much less uh, cancer fear and cancer anxiety. And so that decrease in cancer fear and cancer anxiety offsets any potential detrimental effects that the surgery can have on their, their, uh, the, the rest of their, their rest of their, um, functioning and psychological well-being. We can't, we really can't underestimate the impact and intensity of uh, fear of cancer and the anxiety that's related to the, to potentially the risk of developing cancer. Right. So the prophylactic surgery is definitely uh, a challenging path, but opting to not have the surgery doesn't leave you necessarily in a simple or easy place because the surveillance is intense. The risk of developing cancer is much higher. Um, so it sounds like the paths are both, are both challenging, but it's certainly not uh, that, that there's one easy option. Um, I know I did have the privilege of having a conversation with a friend who was, uh, did test positive for the BRCA mutation and opted for the prophylactic surgery. And she mentioned that um, she found that the word she used was an emotional minefield from the beginning, from the minute that she got her diagnosis, not just from the actual process of the surgery. And she emphasized how important she found it to have all kinds of support systems around you, both within family and friends, but also from the medical community, um, you know, international communities of people who have gone through it to hear their experiences. And she said, really, from, from the step one, Finding out that you're a carrier, this is touching on the point that there's no easy path if you found out that you are a carrier of this mutation. Um, and she urges people to really seek out that support and not to sit back if you haven't found that support, but to really seek it out because she said for her it was uh, it was crucial to find that support along the way. So, so I, I think your your friend makes a raises a very important point that there are different aspects of support. There's the friends, there's the family, and then there's the support within the medical system. Uh, and very often women who have tested positive as BRCA carrier, uh, they, they really require a multidisciplinary approach. Uh, and often, and there, and there are clinics uh, that are for BRCA carriers. We're one-stop shop. You come in, you've tested positive, and you come in, uh, and you can meet with a genetic counselor and a social worker, and um, uh, have have your have your surveillance. You have, you can have your breast MRI and mammogram there, and your ultrasound of your ovaries uh, and your blood work, and be seen regularly uh, to to make sure to to. And, facilitate early detection if that's the path you choose to meet with a surgical oncologist, uh, a breast surgeon, and a GYN surgeon for 
to discuss removal of the ovaries and a plastic surgeon to discuss reconstruction, to address fertility issues, uh, and, and really to be seen, to be seen after the surgery, even to deal, to make sure the cancer hasn't come back and also to address some of the symptoms and, uh, potential, problems that arise down the line for women who've undergone these surgeries. And so that, that uh, medical support, that multidisciplinary approach can potentially ease this process uh, and get a, a collective opinion from the team. And in the process, figure out, you know, how am I going to deal with this? Am I going to choose surveillance? Am I going to undergo surgery? If I undergo surgery, which surgery am I going to do? Uh, at what order, at what point in my life does this make sense? And, and work it through with, with a team that's, that's trained in this and uh, has guided many women such as yourself through it previously. Yeah, that's really important. If I'm understanding what you're saying, you're saying you shouldn't try to go through this alone. You really need to gather the people around you, both medically and emotionally and personally, that can help you. It's a huge piece of information to find out. I can only imagine that it might upend somebody world, somebody's world in a day. And, uh, and that thank God there really are amazing resources out there dealing with, as you said, the whole multidisciplinary element of it, because nothing is just physical. It's not just about our bodies. There's mind and body and emotions and, and psychology and lifestyle and, and the plans that we had and how it all is impacted. And it's amazing to know that there are resources and to encourage people to find those resources and find the support uh, for the whole process. And I don't think, uh, I don't think there's one right answer for every woman. Every woman needs to navigate this uh, decision and, and figure out, you know, what her needs are and, uh, and where, what her priorities are and what she, what she, how she wants to, this scenario to play out, how she wants to address uh, the new, the new risk that she now knows that she faces. Right. And, and how one feels today may not be how she feels, you know, five years from now, she may decide today, I'm not ready to do the surgeries. I don't even want to hear about the surgeries. And with time, she may evolve to a different place. Mm-hmm. And to just be sensitive to that and recognize that this is a process and it and and an intense journey. For sure. Um, I think that sometimes when I'm having a conversation with somebody about a halachic topic, and we've talked about the idea of finding a posik, right? Finding someone to go to for halachic questions or religious questions that might come up. And I know we have this idea of a selacha rav, and if we broaden that and use it as a metaphor, um, it, it really feels to me like that could apply here also, saying that when I personally go to seek halachic advice, I want to speak to somebody who I feel respects my lifestyle, my hashkafan is going to speak to me and give me an answer that's appropriate for me within the context of halacha, but, but see where I'm coming from on the issues. And in today's day and age, when we really have access to halachic authorities all over the world, we're not limited to the, you know, one person in our shtetl. Um, it really challenges us to say, I can go to somebody who I feel comfortable saying what my values are, what my priorities are, and then giving it halachic context. And I would like to broaden that idea metaphorically and say, Rav perhaps also applies even in this situation of find the medical team, if you have that privilege, if you have that option, if you have those resources to find the people that you feel are seeing you as an individual and not making assumptions about, you know, what your fertility goals were or uh, how this might impact your lifestyle. Because as you mentioned, it's not the same for any two women. And I think that's really, really important to recognize that every single woman who might get this diagnosis is going to be dealing with a unique situation. I wanted to go back and ask you to elaborate a little bit on the menopause symptoms. You mentioned that the surgery um, causes surgical menopause, early menopause. And can you elaborate on what that means and how a woman might deal with that? So um, 
so when a woman goes through menopause, uh, she typically will have, well, a woman who's had surgery, prophylactic surgery, uh, and is premenopausal will, will potentially develop menopausal symptoms. And what that means is she might have hot flashes. Uh, she might have decreased, uh, libido. She might have, um, a vaginal dryness, a vaginal atrophy, uh, which can all affect her sexual function. Uh, she's at higher risk of cardiovascular disease. She now has to worry about uh, those issues and at high, slightly higher risk of osteoporosis. And so uh, women who've undergone prophylactic surgery, the five most, co- the, the most common or frequent symptoms that they complain of are vaginal dryness, uh, lack of uh, uh, sexual desire, sleep disturbances, hot flashes, and what they really wish their doctors had told them about beforehand was the impact of surgery on their sexual function and the risk of heart disease. And so some, how, how do we manage these symptoms? Well, ideally, the, um, the hot flashes uh, be, can, can be managed with um, medications if necessary, if they're really debilitating, uh, preferably not to use hormones, uh, except in women who may have had their breasts removed, where there's less of a risk of breast, less concern regarding breast cancer. But hormonal therapy is an option if the symptoms are uncontrolled, are, are really debilitating. Uh, in terms of the uh, issues of sexual function and the vaginal dryness with lubricants and moisturizers, again, opting for uh, non-hormonal interventions. In terms of the risk of heart disease, uh, women should be need, need to be followed annually to um, make sure that their cardiac risk factors are under control, check their blood pressure, check their lipids, check their glucose, and they should be encouraged to stop smoking if they smoke uh, and and um, try to eat eat a healthy lifestyle and and exercise and and when it comes to bone health. Uh, many women will have a bone density done to see where they're at and to see if there is bone loss, if there is a risk of bone loss. And they would also benefit from counseling regarding calcium intake. And so these are just some of the challenges of going through menopause uh, in general that BRCA carriers who undergo prophylactic surgery uh, will experience potentially prematurely but they can be addressed. And again, in spite of these challenges and these difficulties, studies indicate that uh, the benefits of surgery in reducing cancer worry far outweigh the, uh, the difficulties and challenges of going through premature menopause. Now, premature menopause would also mean that it would change a woman's relationship with her mikvah practice, with tarat ha um, I'm interested to hear what challenges could arise regarding a woman's relationship with immersion in the mikvah throughout the process of the prophylactic surgery. And if you've spoken to women or heard about how they deal with the ending of their relationship with mikvah early due to the surgical menopause. So this is a topic that is dear to the Eden Center. Uh, both, well, BRCA, BRCA in general, prophylactic surgery for BRCA carriers, uh, and all of the issues that uh, that arise with the surgery after the surgery, uh, because these are women's health issues, and also because so many of these issues come to the fore, uh, really play out with the with mikva. Uh, and Eden has had educational sessions with Balaniot, with mikvah attendants, and with the general community to increase awareness regarding these issues. And we've also published uh, two booklets on the topic, one for Balaniot and one for women with breast cancer and uh, also women who have a BRCA diagnosis to address many of the issues that arise uh, related to mikvah in, in, after a BRCA diagnosis. And so going to the mikvah after BRCA diagnosis uh, raises, or and after surgery, raises issues of intimacy, 
raises issues of fertility. Uh, certainly a woman who's prematurely menopausal, uh, going to the mikvah can tr trigger profound feelings of loss and sadness. Uh, and, and surprisingly, issues you never would have thought about. So for example, one woman contact uh, who we've counseled had mikvah issues related to her husband's BRCA diagnosis. So her husband was a diagnosed as a carrier and had watched his family, his mother and sisters be diagnosed with uh, breast and ovarian cancer. And he wanted to do PGD, pregestational diagnosis, to select for embryos that would not carry the mutation. She didn't have a mutation. She didn't carry a mutation. And she didn't want to do this. She said, if we have a baby that has a mutation, we will deal with it. PGD requires IVF. And so going to the mikvah raised all of, raised all of these issues for her because she, she, because it, it highlighted the discussion. It brought the discussion into the fore. Going to the mikvah can raise issue, body image issues. Uh, very often, the first person who, who, sees, who will see the woman's scar is the balanit. Uh, and balaniot need to be sensitive and educated to this topic. One woman in particular, who is a BRCA carrier, uh, told me that she went to the mikvah right before her prophylactic mastectomy and told the balanit, next time I come, I might look different because I'm having, I'm having surgery. I'm having my breasts removed. The balanit said, and mind you, this was not an Eden trained Balanit. The Balanit said, well, why would you do that? That's a mutilating surgery. And she explained to the Balanit that, um, well, she, her sister had had breast cancer and she was doing this to make sure she could be there for her children. And she left devastated. She had expected her, her mikvah experience to strengthen her for the surgery that was coming up. And instead it just did, it was the opposite. She went through the surgery and then had some wound healing issues. And uh, the doctor said, don't get your scar wet. And so she didn't Tovel uh, until she actually met a friend of hers who suggested turning to the doctor and saying, well, can I be the first one to immerse? Would that be okay? Would that make it okay for me to get the, to get the scar wet? And he said, yes. But many women don't come. Uh, they won't come because they're exhausted. They don't have the energy to, to prepare for the mikvah. That issue can be addressed by having uh, scheduling a time when the women woman can come uh, without having to meet other people there and not have to wait. They might not come because they assume that there's a chatzitza, that there's an interposition that would invalidate their immersion, like stitches, like um, a... Uh, a um, drain that might be in place. And in our hope and healing, we discuss all the various potential chatzitzot uh, that could arise uh, and how halacha uh, might approach them and the importance of asking halacha questions. The same woman who went to the mikvah before her surgery, her, her mastectomy, and was greeted, uh, was greeted somewhat less sensitively by the Balanites, eventually decided to have her ovaries removed and each time she went to the mikvah was very emotionally charged because she knew that she was nearing the end of her mikvah experience. Uh, and when it came time to actually have to, to immerse the last time before the surgery, she went to a mikvah where she knew the Balanit personally and explained to her the situation and they worked together to make it a more meaningful experience. She gave her extra time in the mikvah by herself. She, they they uh, composed a tefillah together. Eden is actually working on a booklet to help mark um, the, final, the final days of immersion, the last few times one immerses to, to give that, that tefillah even more meaning. So yes, all of these issues uh, do come to the fore at the mikvah and they emphasize what you mentioned earlier, Chana, which is the importance of asking halachic questions and not just assuming that something is asur, not just assuming something is mutar, but really going to your rabbinic authority and, and, and asking and uh, finding out for yourself. Wow. In everything that you said, Sharon, it touches on so many subjects, each of which I feel could be a whole session that we do in and of itself. Um, the role of the Balanit, 
um, it, it, even in a regular mikvah experience, but especially if a woman is going through something challenging, body image, um, as you said, ending, ending your relationship with the mikvah, just as every woman has her own individual relationship with Tarat Mishpacha, with going to the mikvah, which as we know, can range between spiritually uplifting and, you know, some women don't connect or find it burdensome. And the same woman can have a, a very, uh, a various different experiences in her own relationship with mikvah. So even the idea of ending your relationship with mikvah early could be for some uh, more positive, for some more negative. And as we said, context uh, plays in. But um, what I'm mostly taking from this is how 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 important it is for us as a community of women and as a general community overall, but especially as a community of women to recognize uh, that some women are going through this and that we don't always know who might be going through this and um, and to have this information so that we can lend support, be aware, just to understand how much complexity there is in in the life of a woman when these challenges arise, you have the familial, emotional, communal, personal relationship with your body, and then this whole element of halachic and tarada mishpacha and how you relate to that and deal with that. Like you said, everything from the technical and the chatzitzot that it might impact to your emotional relationship with mikvah to uh, how it affects intimacy and fertility. It's uh, so many layers within so many layers. And I think that the more we all can raise our awareness and our sensitivity uh, to these issues, it can just uh, hopefully strengthen us as a community so that we can lend support to each other when it comes up and when we, when we have the opportunity to, to back each other up and to hold each other up through challenging times. And it's really important to know about that resource that Merkaz Eden at the Eden Center developed called Tikvata Tahara, Hope and Healing. And I know that that resource is available for people who are interested, if they think it could be relevant to themselves or to somebody that they know by contacting the Eden Center and we'll give information about how to do that. Sharon, you've shared so much information with us today on the topic of prophylactic surgery and so many insights into the experience uh, that a woman might have. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us on this topic today? Well, um, receiving a diagnosis that one carries the BRCA mutation can be incredibly overwhelming. And I think that uh, it's important to realize that a woman who's received this diagnosis will face a, 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 a huge number of decisions. She needs to, she'll need to decide how she wants to proceed, uh, what path she wants to take, surveillance, surgery, and if she wants surgery, what, what surgery, what combination, what order. But to bear in mind that knowledge is power and that, this, that the diagnosis will enable her to take steps to significantly improve her survival, improve her life expectancy, uh, perform the mitzvah of Vini Shmartem, and uh, let her take steps that are, in fact, pikuach nefesh. Thank you so much for having this conversation today. And may we all be blessed with good health. You've been listening to Medical Matters, insights into current issues in health and halacha with Dr. Sharon Galper-Grossman and Hannah Evenchen. This podcast is an Eden Center production. To learn more about our work, check out our website at www.theedencenter.com.